0: is Pete. Welcome back to another edition of the Camera Books Podcast, Above and Beyond. Um, this week, what we're doing, we're doing something a little bit different. I've invited two different alumni to be on the podcast with me. Um, I've invited Craig Miller. Craig is a former Army military police officer that transitioned about four years ago. And Zach Boguslawski is a former Naval flight officer who transitioned about two years ago. They both worked for Godiva Chocolatier in different roles. And interestingly, this is actually a continuation of um, a conversation that I started with David Cook from a podcast a couple of weeks ago. And David was sharing um, some of the initiatives or at least teasing out, I knew we were gonna meet for this call, but he was kind of teasing out some of the initiatives that he and Craig and Zach are working on JMO initiatives, reverse mentoring initiatives. So if you missed that, go back and listen to David and share a little bit about that. So on this call, I invited uh, Craig and, um, and Zach to be on the call with me. And we really get into two main topics. The first thing we talk about is how David and Zach and, and, and Craig have gotten together and, um, and started to, um, talk about the value of military leadership and junior military officers and the thing that they can do for an organization. So they've really begun to formalize um, um, a bit of an education, if you will, in their organization and helping their organization see just how much value uh, military leadership can bring to an organization. So we get into that topic. Um, and then we transition and talk about a formal program that they're involved with at Godiva where they're doing some reverse mentoring, um, pairing uh, millennial generation aged leaders of which both Zach and Craig are. So millennial leadership with more senior leadership um, in the organization and finding ways that senior leadership can uh, pull out some of the some of the best practices, if you will, in terms of managing um, millennials and junior leaders and millennial leaders in an organization, but also how to better reach their customers based on some of the things that are important to the millennial generation. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And, um, and you know, we start to veer off into other topics as it relates to mentorship. So, um, I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you want to know more about Cameron Brooks, you can go straight to our website, Cameron-Brooks.com. There's a lot of open source material. If you're a transitioning military officer that you can use to uh, begin to gather more information about a potential transition. Um, Even if you're not a JMO, though, we we post to a blog. We post a lot of leadership articles. You can find us on the social media, Facebook, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, um, so, without further ado, let's get to the podcast. Here is Craig and Zach. All right, Craig and Zach, welcome to the
1: podcast. I really appreciate you guys being here. Um, I, I think where we start is, why don't you just two introduce yourselves individually, and then uh, we'll go down the path in terms of some, uh, some different topics. So, <clears throat> excuse me, Craig, why don't you kick us off?
2: Thanks, Pete. Uh, again, thanks for having me on this morning. I appreciate the time. Um, I uh, began my career uh, as an Army officer back in 2008, and I had spent uh, the majority of that as a military police officer. So uh, coming out of college, I went through all of my initial training, uh, went through a few of the Army's uh, schoolings, and then ended up at Fort Carson out in Colorado, uh, where I spent a little over five years there. Uh, my time as an MP officer was actually a very, very, very good experience for me. Uh, I had a chance to spend 18 months as a platoon leader in a company XO uh, and then transition to a battalion logistics officer. And really, at that time as, an, as a logistics officer is when I, I first got a taste of the supply chain, which uh, I didn't know it at the time, but I would end up getting more and more involved in uh, as my career went on. Uh, so I spent a, about a year as a logistics officer uh, and then transferred to the brigade level where I was the provost marshal, uh, so essentially uh, a junior police chief for about a 3,400-person brigade. though um, so over that time, I got to do a lot of cool things. I got to meet a lot of great people, um, but really I got to taste a little bit of a lot of different industries as well. So as the platoon leader in XO, I got more of the operational experience, uh, working with soldiers uh, at all levels, really training, mentoring, uh, and then transitioned up into logistics where, again, I I got a feel for the supply chain and what it takes to equip uh, hundreds of soldiers as they prepare for battle. And then uh, going on again to my next position as a police officer, uh, really to see the administrative side of things, uh, how... More senior officers at the brigade level get to work with each other and how they interact. Um, And all those things were were kind of grooming me and and preparing me for my eventual transition. So uh, in 2013, uh, I made the decision to leave the Army and pursue uh, greater things on the civilian side. Uh, And I partnered with Cameron Brooks, which was one of the best decisions I've ever made because I had a few options coming out of my career conference uh, I was actually in the August of 2012 conference. Um, excuse me, and I ended up taking a job at Godiva Chocolatier in uh, Reading, Pennsylvania. Uh, I took the job uh, as a, a risk analyst, where I was looking at uh, key functions across the business. Godiva is a global company, um, and so I was looking at each of the regions to look at. Uh, areas of concern, whether it be sourcing options, uh, business continuity, um, gaps in our business model that could, could eventually cause us to lose sales or lose business. Um, and I was in that role for about a year when I was approached by some of our management team to see if I would be interested in transitioning to supply chain. Uh, I really was enjoying my time as the risk analyst. I got to see a lot of different parts of the company which I enjoyed. Um, But I thought back to my time as um, the Battalion Logistics Officer in the Army, and I was like, you know, I could do this. I've never been in a formal supply chain role, but uh, I have uh, plenty of experience with uh, managing supply chains and sourcing options, uh, and so I took it. So currently, uh, I look after our global supply chain finance department, Uh, so I'm managing... um, all the decisions around uh, where do we make product, where do we get product from. Uh, if we're launching new initiatives or bringing in new machinery, I do the analysis to see if it's a good business decision. Uh, and it's been honestly a great opportunity to get to to get my hands into a lot of different areas of the company and to and to really learn about how the business works.
1: How did your um, <clears throat> now you have an undergraduate degree in accounting from Lehigh? How, have you I mean, I know that was a few years back, but are you seeing some some um, overlap in terms of some of the quantitative stuff you did way back in college in terms of managing some of the quantitative um, functions of supply chain and looking at some of the global supply chain finance stuff now? Uh,
2: in this role, I am. Uh, to be quite candid, I was a little nervous. <laughs> taking it because it had been quite some time since I had done any formal accounting. Um, But in this role, yes, uh, I work at a manufacturing site. So uh, where we produce all of the the chocolate products that get shipped out to market uh, comes out of this factory. And so while I'm not in a technical accounting role, I am doing a lot of the financial support uh, for the things coming out of the plant. So understanding, you know, some of the components of cost accounting and, Uh, applying overhead to manufacturing processes, all those things I learned while I was in school, uh, I am getting a little bit of a feel for now as well.
1: Excellent. That's great. Yeah, thanks, Craig. Um, It's interesting. I just find it fascinating how when um, someone with military, a pretty diverse, broad set of military leadership experiences comes into a role like like you went to, and doing risk analyst work, and then uh, and then turn around and they say, hey, you're doing a pretty good job. Why don't you come and look at this problem over here for us, which is which is not quite related, not fully related to what you were doing, and being able to use some of your former military experience and and even all the way back to college to to help you be successful. So that's that's really great. Um, and we have Zach Boguslawski on the call as well. Zach, why don't you uh, why don't you share with us a little bit about your background?
3: Sure, absolutely, and thanks again for for the invite, Pete. here um, sure. I I uh, I joined uh, the military in 2004. I got my commission from from Annapolis at the at the U.S. Naval Academy. Um, went on to flight school and was trained and winged as a naval flight officer. Uh, was fortunate enough to join the P3 Charlie Orion community, um, and spent three and a half years at the uh, desolate and outward post of Kaneohe Bay, Hawaii. Uh, mm-hmm. fantastic, <laughs> fantastic duty, yeah, it terrible duty, uh, fantastic yeah. uh, experience out there flying the aircraft. I made uh, two full deployments, um, one to the Western Pacific and one in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom, seven months boots on ground, mm-hmm. along with a few other um, smaller debts supporting um, the different fleets around the world. Um, spent, like I said, three and a half years there, was able to take a crew on deployment as a tactical coordinator, uh, and also had various jobs in the squadron, ranging from the public affairs officer, uh, the assistant administrative department head, uh, the sponsorship officer, the tactical publications librarian. I did quite a quite a number of jobs across a couple different departments there. Um, left VP Four uh, Patrol Squadron Four in January of 2010, and went back to the Naval Academy to be an instructor, uh, and in, and primarily. A training coordinator and summer training coordinator for the junior class or the second class. Um, within six months I was the senior lieutenant on site so I sort of picked up the uh, the role of being the assistant training officer to uh, an 05 and 06. Uh, I was managing uh, a program called professional training for midshipmen or pro which a lot of our Academy and ROTC candidates will probably remember either fondly or not so fondly. Um, So I was managing about a million-dollar budget, getting 1,100 students to and from places like San Diego, uh, Camp Pendleton, Camp Lejeune, Norfolk, Virginia, Kings Bay, Georgia. Um, Really kind of uh, similar to what Craig's experience was, my first foray into program and project management, really getting to see all sides of how these major operations work. Uh, I spent three years there, a little less than three years there and was fortunate enough to pick up orders to the USS Nimitz aircraft carrier, where I was the uh, V-1 or flight deck division officer, as well as a catapult launching officer. Uh, Besides flying, by far the most interesting job I've done, and perhaps the most salient job I've done uh, in the the military as it pertains to the business transition. I was uh, the division officer for 160 personnel on deck, Uh, And being on board the Nimitz, with it being an older aircraft carrier, the oldest aircraft carrier we operate now, um, it came with its issues, it came with its challenges, and that brought me more, again, into the program and project management role as well as the general management side of things um, as I led programs such as admin, training, uh, budget, uh, things to that end. Um, I transitioned to Monterey, California. and. Uh, Started a grad school program and left the military um, and was part of the November 2015 conference, I believe it was, uh, where uh, I partnered with Cameron Brooks based on their reputation and based on the opportunities available. I had some opportunities in New York City that came out, um, but I also had an outstanding interview experience with Godiva Chocolatier, um, and they offered me uh, a job as an IT project manager. Uh, which I happily and quickly um, accepted. I've been at Godiva for about 18 months now uh, in the same role as a project manager. I started off with a few smaller projects, things such as a software implementation, an application upgrade, um, things kind of across the business from HR, IT, uh, a bit of marketing. And uh, right now I'm leading a couple of uh, bigger projects uh, as they relate to omnichannel online purchasing uh, solutions, as well as developing a global customer relationship management tool. So, for those who are familiar with things like Microsoft Dynamics, Salesforce, Oracle, uh, things of that nature. Um, I'm also part of a a program that reverse mentors some of our C-level and senior directors. So, as a millennial by technicality and technicality only, uh, I uh, am part of a, a small cohort that helps Transition or translate I should say our skills uh, as the company transitions to a, a place where they're trying to attract more millennial talent, like every other business is trying to do these days, so that's really uh that's me in a nutshell Pete
1: yeah that's great. um I have to ask you know when I talked to David a couple of weeks ago and he's doing a similar role to yours, it's easy to see how someone from the military and he was a communications officer doing IT work in the Marine Corps, or Army Signal Officer, or Air Force Cyber. Those that are in and around um, IT-oriented systems for the military, it's easy to see how they would move in easier, at least, to see how they could easily move into a IT project management. But Zach, you don't have the, you don't necessarily have heavy IT as a as a NFO, P3 NFO. <clears throat> doing work on the um, carrier, on your dissertation, you sea tour, going back to school. How did? How did? I have to know, or maybe you can explain. How? How did Godiva see past? Like, well, Zach doesn't have a whole bunch of IT in his background. We should make him an IT project manager. How did that work for you?
3: So, in the process of the interviews, both at the conference <laughs> and during my follow-ups, I asked a, a similar question, uh, and. The most salient answer I I can share came from our former CIO, Jackie Shea, who interviewed me both at the conference and during the follow-ups, and she revealed to me that she wasn't looking for an IT technical lead. She wasn't looking for a programmer. She wasn't looking for someone who could configure a switch. She wanted somebody that had good leadership and good management skills, someone who had experience managing projects and programs before, and that... I would learn the IT piece as I went along. So long as I kept an open attitude, and uh, mm-hmm. full disclosure, she came out to me as a CIO, now on her second CIO job at a, at a different company. That, like me, she was a political science major herself. So by being <laughs> able to see, so by being able to see the skills that we develop in the military, be it as a communications right. officer in the Marine Corps,
2: as right. a military
3: police officer and provost in the Army, or as a naval flight officer. We have the right. ability uh, to learn a vast set of skills, uh, regardless, and I think that's something that I pride myself in. I pride myself in my fellow veterans at the company that you give us a problem and we can solve it.
1: Yeah, I want to get into the reverse mentoring topic, but but before we go, there, there's a I feel like there's a there's a natural pathway to a conversation that I'd like to dig into with you guys. Um, A lot of conversations that I have with military officers, you know, we have conversations about, you know, what kind of career field are you interested in, and and these are important dialogues in terms of what do you want to do functionally, or what are you interested in functionally, or maybe what are you qualified for functionally. Um, And I don't really name a bunch of companies per se, like individual companies, in those conversations. But what I what I know is that when officers interview with specific companies at a career conference it goes way beyond functionally what will i do when i get out of the military and and a lot of officers i would say most focus more on the culture of the organization and are they a fit and i think companies do the same when they're interviewing military officers but instead of necessarily only focusing on function what will i do specifically day to day but more what's the culture of this company and do i fit and so, can you guys maybe, Craig? Can you kick us off uh, by just talking a little bit about um, and what attracted to you? What attracted you to Godiva? Was it more of a cultural piece, company culture? Was it the function as well? Like, how did you get there, um, and how did you ultimately make the decision?
2: Thanks, Pete. My my decision was was ultimately based on two things, and you hit you hit both of them in the lead in there. Uh, the first one was culture, because coming out of the military, um, I had a chance to meet and work with a ton of great people. And one of the things that made it difficult was knowing that I would be leaving some of those behind. Uh, and when I when I met with Godiva, both at the conference and the follow-ups, uh, I just got a good feel for the people that I'd be working with on a day-to-day basis. So... Uh, aside from the the job role itself, I really took a look at you know do I fit in here uh what are the attitudes of of the managers that I'll be working for and and the subordinates that'll be working alongside and below me um, and so really just getting a feel for where the business was going uh, when I joined uh godiva was was growing very quickly at a global level uh it attracted me that Um, I would get to work with folks uh, in the U.S. here at our manufacturing site, but also uh, where we have offices in Brussels, Belgium, uh, in Japan, in China, in Hong Kong. Uh, And in that role, I would have a chance to interact with each of those groups. And uh, it just really appealed to me uh, based on my experience in the military, getting to interact with guys from different cultures. Uh, I deployed as well. Uh, So I got to interact with some some people in their home countries. Uh, So really just the the people and the way that the business operated was very appealing to me. Uh, And the second part that really nailed the decision for me was um, when I was looking at what career field I wanted to get into, I was looking at the options, right? So um, the role as a risk analyst gave me exposure to a lot of different parts of the company. Um, I got to work with IT and HR and supply chain and some of the finance folks. Um, and so really coming out of the military, I, I had a, an instant ability to, to learn about a vast majority of topics and really wrap my hands around what does a civilian multinational corporation look like and how does it operate? And that role gave me that flexibility within it and the combination of of uh, that exposure and the people that I'd get to work with every day, it uh, made it a very easy decision for me to come here.
1: You know, what's interesting is you never said anything about, you know, Godiva is a globally or yeah, you know, globally recognized brand. And so I wanted to work for a. Co- and I'm sure that's a that's a perk. Right. But but that's the thing I think a lot of people do is they they think about, well, Less about the culture because they just don't have exposure to it yet, and they say, "Well, do I recognize the name of this company or not?" And they put a lot of value in in name recognition. <clears throat> but maybe Zach, you can you can um, explore this point with me. Um, you know, base, name recognition alone is nowhere near enough. <clears throat> excuse me, enough enough information to make a determination about like, is this the right company? For me, when I transitioned out of the military, what did you think about, you know, the name Godiva, but 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 other names of companies that you knew or maybe didn't know at a conference, and why did you ultimately choose Godiva?
3: Sure. So I parallel a lot of what Craig said as far as being able to see how a global company and to a point a global brand functions, knowing that mm-hmm. Godiva wasn't a Company that had 50 to 100,000 employees spread out across the globe. You know, we are not uh, By any stretch of imagination a huge company as as we stand Um, Craig, I think we're about what 5,000 employees total across Godiva.
2: Yep, Uh, correct
3: So, you know by no stretch are we a huge company, but at the same time uh, that culture of everybody is behind the brand everybody brings to the table an idea of we want to do what's best for Godiva um, was really evident in my initial interviews um, and was really evident in my uh, follow-up interviews. But to your point about not knowing brand names and things like that, I had opportunities with um, a couple of the big three consulting firms, which you know are extraordinarily well-known. I interviewed with some companies that have outstanding reputations in the fields of sales, medical devices, uh aviation uh government contracting things of that nature but some of the companies i interviewed with that were just incredibly fascinating to me um were small almost nascent startups and they were just absolutely incredible One i can think of was a a real estate software company that helps manage homeowners associations and condominium associations and just some fascinating things uh where the culture just came through so strongly and The the Mm -hmm. desire to succeed was was almost palpable, uh, both in the -hmm. the initial interviews at the conference, at the follow-up interviews, and just in conversations off to the side uh, informally with employees there, with leaders from those companies. Um, So when I had my opportunities for follow-up interviews, um, I think that, you know, yes, Godiva is a global brand. Yes, it's extraordinarily well-recognized. But just the fact that it fit what I was looking for to be exposed, uh, not just at a national level, but at a global level to all parts of the business. Um, And I really think I've touched just about every part of the business now, save perhaps artistic design. And I don't anticipate getting a project there anytime soon, (laughs) but uh, nor should I. But you never know. but you never know. And the funny thing is that through the reverse mentoring program, I know you alluded to once, my mentee is actually our global director for visual merchandising. So yeah. I guess I've already kind of touched on so, that project. Yeah, point sure point that goes. I think the brand, the brand matters less than stint. I think that's eight days a week that matters.
1: Yeah, that's such an important point. Thanks for Thanks for going down that road with me, you guys. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, when – when I originally reached out to David, he goes, well, yeah, I'll, I'll meet with you, but what about these other two guys? We're all, we're all doing some pretty important stuff here at Godiva. And I was really excited for, for this call. Um, Can you talk a little bit about mm, some of the initiatives that you guys, you know, and it may be, it may not be formal initiatives. It might be all slightly informal, but You know, you three together, like, hey, we're all former military officers from very different backgrounds, Army MP, um, uh, Naval Flight Officer, uh, David, Marine Corps, uh, Communication Officer. So three different branches of service, three different functions within those branches, like just different different backgrounds. Um, What have you guys been up to in terms of um, furthering the JMO brand, if that's a thing, but, right, furthering veterans, furthering military officers? What kind of things are you guys working on right now?
2: I can jump in here real quick. Um, You you said we are a a JMO brand, and while that's not something I think we intentionally developed, now that there's a group of us that work uh, side-by-side in uh, our corporate office and in the manufacturing side, I think uh, other folks in the business are starting to take notice. Um, just the way, uh, the experience that the JMOs bring to the company is pretty unique. Um, we're all on the younger side when you look at us compared to other managers and director level people. Um, and But the experience that we bring is unlike anyone else. So a lot of our peers are coming up uh, through the traditional ranks of the corporate business world. Uh, and we're kind of inserting ourselves with, just as much leadership experience and project management experience, but in fields that are totally unique and uh that unique perspective I think people have started to to associate with us so while Zach David and myself uh are in projects, uh, we have created a reputation um hopefully a very good one uh but I don't think it was anything intentional um mm-hmm. but now uh I know on my side uh Our parent company uh, just uh, is developing a new plant in upstate New York, uh, and they're looking for those operational leaders that can really take that facility to where it needs to go. Uh, And I know from a staffing point, they initially looked at Cameron Brooks and and the JMOs because they they see what Zach is doing in IT. They see the project David's managing uh, and the way that I interact with the team on the finance side. Uh, and so they're starting to build that out, and looking at JMOs for those uh, site leader positions as well. So it's definitely a growing brand here, for sure.
1: Zach, what's your? I, I, I'm sure it's a lot, much of the same. But what's your perspective, or anything to add?
3: No, it, it is a lot of the same. In fact, I know uh, Craig mentioned our our new Upstate New York facility, and David is heavily involved with that. Um, from an IT mm-hmm. perspective, from an infrastructure perspective, from a site setup perspective. So it, it's not – and it wasn't something that he was tasked with by uh, by our direct supervisor, the CIO, or by anybody else. He was asked, hey, I need someone who has the ability to manage multiple high-priority items, the ability to kind of have calm in the face of pressure. Um, and those are just mm-hmm. traits you see with junior military officers partnering with Cameron mm-hmm. Brooks, and joining the business world, uh, I had a great conversation with someone I consider a bit of a mentor yesterday. And the words he used to describe uh, me and David, um, and not to exclude Craig, but I'm sure that it certainly applies, is you guys just seem to have it all together all the time. Like nothing seems to bother you. And uh, I think that's a huge compliment, you know, to Craig's point of where we're just kind of getting inserted into the management level of responsibility. And we just go with it, and and we do a pretty good job. So you know I'm you know I'm fortunate enough to be working on global initiatives, and have worked with our teams in China and Japan, and our European offices in both Brussels and London. Uh, and again, I've only been at the company just a shade over eighteen months, so that opportunity mm-hmm. um, certainly was not lost on me. But in hindsight, hindsight and retrospect, uh, you know, you can see that the, the folks doing the job. Uh, have a, a specific skill set and a specific mentality um, that bring it along. And I know that Craig and I are, are kind of starting a veterans committee of sorts, not to associate you that quite yet, Craig, but I think it's important that, that, you know, people understand kind of where we're coming from and maybe we can educate the company just a little bit better on what, where we come from versus the traditional business mindset.
1: Well, that's a good segue to my next question. I was wondering, are there other Are are there other, I mean, of course, I know you three, just through our relationship and what we've done together, but are there other veterans of any level or rank or whatever it might be running around the company?
3: Sure, yeah. So I know that specifically I work with uh, one. He's been with the Air National Guard for quite some time. He's one of our IT security analysts. Uh, And then we have another uh, gentleman um, who works in HR with us who did... A number of years in the army i think he was a, an hr generalist in the army um uh-huh. and he works over at the plant i actually think he kind of splits his time now he was more at the plant over in craig's neighborhood uh, but i do see him quite a bit now at, at our spring ridge location um so yeah there there are a few veterans and that was the idea was to kind of get us all together one day and say hey how can we translate our mentality our experiences our life our lives i should say and you know institute a positive change mechanism on mm-hmm. Um,
1: What's the, I don't mean to take this in a negative way, but I mean, are you guys having to fight any negative, per, some, negative perception? Sometimes I hear that, um, you know, uh, especially at a company that doesn't have a lot of JMOs or veterans in, in the organization where, you know, there's a, there's a military officer and he or she is a bit of a, a trailblazer in company comes, let's say it comes to the conference. They're like, well, you know, we really want to get some of this, this, this real world leadership that you guys both just described very well. Um, but they get to the company and maybe not everyone understands the background or no one, wait, why did we hire you? You don't have any of this ex- specific. Ba-. Have you guys experienced maybe not any hard negative, but just maybe like a questions like, wait, w- why are you here again? before you've been able to prove yourself. Anything like
2: that? I wouldn't say I met any negative, like, pushback from it, but I think it was, um, because Godiva does not have a very, you know, strong history hiring JMOs. And I think that uh, the team here just didn't really know how to leverage that skill set you just described. So uh, the hiring managers and the directors, uh, that made the decision to go the JMO route understood, okay, this guy doesn't have a technical background in this, but he does have this wealth of knowledge and, and experience that that is totally unique to him. Um, and so they understood, but I don't think the, the general team did. So walking right. down the halls, they're like, oh, there's the new guy. It's like, he's never done this before. <laughs> what value does he bring? Uh, I think just... Right socializing that to to the rest of the team and really until you have a chance to demonstrate it and to, to really integrate yourself into that team uh, there was a, mm-hmm. some a, a bit of a learning curve I guess mm-hmm
1: yeah cuz I guess Craig you were back in back when you transitioned. <clears throat> were you the first JMO or at least the first JMO in a while
2: Yes, I was there. I believe there was one that was here a few years before me, but in a a different office in a different part of the company. Uh, So most of the people that I was interacting with, I was the first one that they had experienced. Gotcha. So they hired you, then they hired David, then they hired Zach. I mean, you guys really are
1: making an impact and building a brand. And 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 if if I may, just personally, thank you. (laughs) I really appreciate not necessarily for Cameron Brooks, but just for. (laughs) just for jmos and making i mean that's an important thing that people don't think about because it's it goes outside of themselves we're not you know yes of course you want to go to the company that you're going to go to and make an impact and be successful and uh, deliver value and all of those things but but there's another piece to it as well more of a corporate piece like you really do represent every jmo okay maybe not every jmo but you represent the jmo brand and and you know, most of the time that goes really well, but sometimes c- folks will come in and, and maybe somebody didn't represent it as well in the past and you have to overcome perceptions and that things of that nature. So you're just building, you're doing, thank you again, you're doing an excellent job representing us. And as a former JMO, I can say us and feel good about that. And I uh, I think that's, that's really fantastic. Let me... Um, let me change gears on you and let's talk a little bit about mentoring at Godiva. And uh, I, before this call, we were chatting and and uh, Zach, you're you're involved with a, a little bit of a formal re- reverse mentor mentoring program, and Craig, you're involved with some higher level mentoring as well. So I'd love to just hear some of your perspectives on those, uh, on that, and kind of from two different angles. One's a little bit more formal, one's a little less. Perhaps a little less formal Craig I'd love to jump in that with you but Zach why don't you kick us off with uh, telling us a little bit about the pro this reverse mentoring program and what are you guys trying to achieve and and what fruit are you seeing from your effort
3: sure so uh, it was a program that started in our, our European offices um, and the idea behind it was to gain insight and kind of a, a, a inside almost psychological um, edge on uh, having godiva shift its focus in customer base you know with millennials you know 70 million millennials or so um, and that number is you know, subject for debate you know, entering the workforce and, and entering the marketplace you know, it is a huge opportunity for companies like godiva to really start to tailor its message and tailor its product to that audience but the world we live in is, is vastly different from the world that perhaps our, our parents grew up in, or even um, the in, the intermediate generation that's kind of Gen X generation grew up in, uh, just because of things like technology and information overload and things of that nature. Um, so the reverse mentoring program's premise really is to pair millennial-aged leaders or managers um, with senior-level, um, nearly C suites, you know, probably just that that probably closer to the VP level. Um, executives and really just start a six month relationship and conversation. Uh, we partner with a company and they provide us some dossiers and slideshows to look through as sort of conversation starters behind millennial behaviors, spending patterns. Um, what does a, a customer look for, uh, a new customer versus an no old customer look for in a brand that they want to stay loyal to? All these examples. And just starting that conversation between the senior leader who has come up through the ranks, who has seen the business both struggle and grow, Um, and now Mm -hmm. they're sitting across the table from this somewhere between 25- and 34-year-old person who's probably not that much older than children they have, um, but they're working (laughs) in management roles below them and trying to to better the company. So that idea of reverse mentoring is that the millennial uh, participant is actually the mentor and that the senior folks are the mentees. Um, And the relationship is really fostered as such. Um, The fruits of that labor really come out in initiatives, ideas, how do we better our brand? What kind of ideas can we have to, say, make our supply chain greener? How can we better leverage our exposure to folks who may not have a Godiva boutique near them? Things of that nature and really getting down to the innovative side of the business. Um, At the end of this whole thing, we'll have a a get together where we're gonna present our best ideas to a panel, which will include the CEO, um, our chief marketing officer, folks like that, some of our managing directors from around the world. And really some of those ideas will get put into practice at Godiva. Um, and it comes from interacting with those those folks and really kind of having a two-way open conversation um, to help Godiva shift its its focus a bit. So that's kind of where the reverse mentoring program is going. I know that has some, some success in Europe. They just kicked off, I think, this week in China. Uh, so we are definitely in the midst of a globally-based program that Godiva is really selling out for and really um, putting a lot of effort behind.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. I um I think millennials get a bad rap and I, you know, I think most generations probably get some sort of bad rap initially, you know, when they're when they when that emerging generation is just coming into uh leadership or the workforce or whatever it might be. And so of course millennials get, you know, the the a couple of different, you know, things, lazy, narcissistic, you know, takes a lot of selfies and whatever I mean yeah they get those but I mean doing a little research on my own um, those that were born from 1980 to 2000 that's the general parameters of a of a millennial um, is the fact is you know you that generation is the first generation to grow up totally in a digital technology age where 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 IT was was never Excluded from the from the environment in some way, shape, or form. Two, what I've under what I've just in some of the research I've seen is, and you mentioned this just a moment ago, but but environment more environmentally conscious, perhaps more environmentally environmentally conscious than any other generation. And then three, more socially conscious. Now I wouldn't I would be easy to argue. Well, you know, are they the most socially conscious generation that's ever been? Probably not. Maybe who knows, but but certainly um, uh, the social component of of how we all kind of live and get along is a big component of that. So, did you guys walk through anything like, hey, here's here's the things that you know millennials do well, or here's the things that are important to us? Do you, uh, was there anything formal like that, or are you, you fielding questions like that? How is it? How is it? Acti- actively or maybe practically? manifesting itself in some of your conversations
3: so absolutely when we had our initial kickoff you know this this partner company that we work with they were very pointed and they were very much you know when you hear the term millennial what do you think and when you hear the term baby boomer or gen X what do you think and they had the opposite generations write their answer down and a lot of it is what you came out and said Pete you know you know selfie obsessed um, the me generation Uh, you know, attached to their phones, Um, you know, they get that thing called tech neck where they're, they're seeing orthopedic specialists because their upper necks are so craned from looking down at their phones and their computers that they're having immediate, you know, they're having physical problems with it. But the flip side of it was, uh, you know, the chance that the millennials got to kind of throw the ball back in, in the other courts and say, look, you know, you all were materialistic and you were hard to work with. And you were you know focused on the bottom line, and that was it sacrificing family for career um so the conversations were definitely productive and, and definitely two way, but I think a lot of it got us over those sort of stereotypes and archetypes, if you will um of both sides of both sides of the coin. I think the productivity level has done nothing but but skyrocket, and we were paired uh with people that we generally may not have ever worked with or in my case, didn't even know existed. Um, So it was really, uh, uh, and is really, an an outstanding program.
1: Well, you'll have to come back on, once you guys are through, it sounds like it's a, there's a time parameter associated with the program and some of the, you know, in, in order to develop ideas and initiatives. I mean, it sounds like this is a, this is something that has expectations of hey we're gonna we're gonna come up with some ideas and try to execute on those. Um, so you'll have to come back on when you, when you're through the program, Zach, and share with us a little bit about um, you know where you guys landed and how it worked out, maybe lessons learned. Because and the reason I'm saying this and and I want to segue to Craig in this, but you know it, you know a lot of people listening to this may not have ever even thought of this idea or or, or maybe they don't have something formal going on in their, in their company, but, but maybe taking the idea and saying, Hey, I think we can apply some of the, some of the, some of the things you've described and and may make our organization better. So please, when it, when it's all said and done, let's connect back up and uh, let's hear how things played out for you.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Be happy to. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, Craig, you and I talked a little bit, even though you're not necessarily, I don't think you're necessarily on this, um formal program you, you talked a lot of kind of the relationship that you have with some higher level leadership in your organization as well right am i did I read that right
2: yeah absolutely pete that's right um
1: so can you share with us a little bit about and and i think mentoring is is a is a topic that you know ends up showing up a lot on this podcast, simply for the fact that, you know, I talk to military officers who, for a lot of what we've already talked about, get into the organization, do a really good job. But, but I, you know, I know that companies want to uh, ensure that military officers, you know, making this big life change in terms of industry and company and all of those things are taken care of in order to, to, to foster and to develop and to grow. So what kind of relationships are you mentoring relationships are you involved with right now
2: yeah so in my current role um i'm a, a senior manager level but i have a exposure to our global leadership team on a regular basis um and so either twice a month uh, i usually meet with the majority of our c level executives to to review business and finance things um but a lot of, you'd be surprised a lot of those conversations end up being uh touching back on the idea of culture and and developing ways of working. And so uh, from my perspective, it's been a great learning experience for me because I can see how these proven leaders think and the, and the conversations that they have and the way they steer discussions. Uh, I'm learning a ton from them, but at the same time, uh, me being really the young face in the room, uh, they're often asking me pretty personal questions just how, how do i feel about you know this decision that they made or um, a great example is the godiva china business is really expanding um, and they're hiring a lot of young chinese people that are are, are de- entering the workforce and and co- manning our corporate offices there and they say do you, as a millennial or as a young leader do you think you know this is a good work environment for them. Like, how should we set up the office to or the work structure to allow them to exceed and, and, and do all these things? And so, um, while I'm not part of the formal program, I think my exposure uh, to the C-level executives has, has just been a great learning experience for me, um, but also gives me an avenue that I can interject uh, some of my own thoughts and opinions to steer... Uh, the company in a way that'll be applicable to to our generation. It feels like,
1: though, it's funny, I was trying to put myself in your shoes as you were describing that and having some C-level executives look down the table and say, what do you think we should do? Like, I don't know. <laughs> do you feel like, int- I don't know, intimidated? Maybe that's too strong of a word, but how do you feel when they're asking you these pointed questions? Is it comfortable? Is it a safe place to to just kind of express what you're
2: thinking? I would say it depends. Uh, overall, I would say yes, I'm very comfortable. Um, you know, going back to our earlier discussion where I, I said that uh, culture was like, do I fit in this company? Um, so that's a yes for me. And so I'm not afraid to share those opinions because I know they'll be listened to um, fairly. Mm-hmm. But that's not always the case, obviously, depending on who's in the room and who's there. And, and if it's a technical, like, should we make this multi-million dollar investment? Uh, that's my role as a finance person, but you know, I'm a little right. hesitant to pull the trigger and say, you know what? I think you should.
1: <laughs> right, so right, It right. depends. It depends. Yeah. Well, you guys, this is uh, I again, I really appreciate the time and uh, I know you two are busy with a lot of projects and a lot of deadlines and not unlike the military, but maybe, maybe even busier than the military in some ways. So I really appreciate you taking an hour out of your day to sit with me and and visit about what you guys are up to. This is the first time we've ever had two Cameron Brooks alum on the same podcast, but I really like the way this flowed and I like the format. So um, so I think I'm gonna be keeping my eyes open for other companies that have multiple military officers there to share their insight because I thought the conversation uh, flowed really well and, and we gained some great insight. And frankly, I think the insight that that, com- that people can listen to and go apply in their own companies. So. Uh, to you both, Craig, Zach. Thanks so much for uh, for your time today.
3: Sure, anytime, Pete. Yep, glad to do it, Pete.